morning church. Uh, the reading today is from the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 2, from verse 1 to 21. Acts, chapter 2, from verse 1 to 21. Hear the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, and aren't all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Meds, and Elanites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Paphilia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions, and your old, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood 
before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Samuel, thank you very much indeed. Yes, well, as you heard, we have our members meeting immediately after the service. We have two of these a year. Uh, the longer one is, is usually in February, and this is kind of a, a catch-up and uh, a shorter meeting. Everyone is invited, so just grab a quick cup of coffee after the service. Raymond, will we be having coffee in there or in the other room? In there, yes. Yeah, no, don't bring any cups of coffee onto the beautiful new cushions that we've got on the pews. So coffee consumed there, come back and sit down, and we'll get on with the meeting. Well, please keep that passage open in front of you. Acts chapter 2. And at the start of our service, we sang these words, which contain a lovely promise that God makes to each one of us. Fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would draw near, that you would strengthen us to stand on the truth of your unchanging character and your very great and precious promises. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, friends, this morning we're obviously looking at the Pentecost event, uh, the astonishing moment when God's Spirit fell upon the early church. It's a story of major significance because it demonstrates to us what only God can do. Um, among other things, it reminds us that as human beings, we're not very good at achieving unity. Uh, we're not always very good at getting it together in our families, uh, we're not very good at getting it together in our communities. We're not very good at getting it together as a nation, uh, or indeed with other nations. Now, of course, from time to time we can engineer some kind of short-term unity. But only God can produce unity at the most profound level, the kind of unity that will gradually deepen to perfection rather than steadily fall apart. I don't want you to leave this morning thinking that I've said that the world is absolutely hopeless at unity, but here in the church we've totally got it sorted. I'm not saying that. All we're saying is that God, by his Spirit, is able to indwell the human heart and create a family uh, that starts out in weakness with all kinds of problems and divisions, but which grows into perfection 
in eternity. Meanwhile, the rest of the world tries to create a forced unity which actually in the end crumbles and falls apart. So just as an example of that in the last week or two, we've read, haven't we, about a number of churches in Pakistan being burned and many Christians being forced to flee their homes. That sort of thing is not new. But it's important to understand that the real issue in Pakistan is not simply that there are two religions, because here in Cape Town we have at least two religions, and it's not that in Pakistan there are two major political parties, because here in the Cape we have at least two major political parties. Now the problem in Pakistan is that there are two cultures, there are two heartbeats, there are two systems, there are two passions which are extraordinarily difficult to bring together. You often find the same thing in a biological family. Uh, so you can have a family that in hundreds of different areas has great happiness. But one person in the family is not indwelt by God's spirit. And therefore, at the most profound level, there is not the same heartbeat for things that really matter, things which are ultimately important. You can have the same thing on a church committee. Uh, you can have a committee that's sitting around the table or working together on the same project, but one person deep in their heart wants their will to be done while everybody else sitting around the table wants God's will to be done. And in that situation, unity is almost impossible. Well, what God does, we cannot do. And what we cannot do, God does. And Acts chapter 2 is the wonderful news that there is a profound change that God is able to work bringing people into a family that is profoundly and increasingly united. Now, today we might not get the excitement of the Pentecost event, uh, the rushing wind, the tongues of fire, uh, the different languages, but we can certainly have the experience of God's Spirit that was preached about on that day. And when we do, we find that it spills over into every other area of our lives. So we're going to look at this passage under three headings. First of all, what took place on the day of Pentecost? That question's not quite as simple as it sounds. What took place on that day? Second, what was said on the day of Pentecost? Because that's going to interpret what happened. And thirdly, what does the day of Pentecost mean for us? When you and I leave church this morning, what are we going to say that the day of Pentecost means for us? So firstly then, what took place? Pentecost was 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you'll remember that Jesus died around the time of the Jewish Passover. And in the Jewish calendar... 50 days after Passover was the time when Israel celebrated the harvest, the wheat harvest, the barley harvest. 
And before Acts chapter 2, that's what Pentecost was all about. So what an appropriate time to have a bumper harvest, not of wheat or barley, but of new believers being gathered in, because that's what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. So here we have the first generation of believers in verse 1, all gathered together in one place. They're waiting, as instructed by Jesus, for God to send the Spirit. And then suddenly there's a sound like the blowing of a wind, a violent wind from heaven, and there were what appeared to be tongues of fire falling on the heads of each one of the believers, followed by an outburst of speech in other languages. Now, the sound was the rushing of wind. Why? Well, the word for rushing wind and spirit is the same word in the original language. And there's this rushing wind from heaven. Why was there an appearance of tongues of fire on people's heads? Well, again, that's very appropriate because the Bible elsewhere describes God himself as fire. And you may remember that John the Baptist said that when Jesus came, he would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. So what's happening on the day of Pentecost is that Jesus is pouring out his spirit on believers. And Peter confirms that for us in verse 33 that we'll look at next week. And then there was the speech of other tongues in verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, let's think about this for a moment. There are 120 people in the early church, and they are actually having a unique experience. Why? Why was it unique? Well, because they've been believing in Jesus for anything up to three years. And now the Holy Spirit comes. So there's been a delay. So this is actually a unique first century sequence. They believe in Jesus, and then a few weeks, a few months, or even a few years after they believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes. So that is the unique first century experience of these 120 people. From that time on, there's no delay. Because after Pentecost, from the moment a person believed in Jesus, they received God's Spirit. So just look at the last verse of the passage for a moment, verse 21. Uh, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now the moment that you're saved is the moment when you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. There's no gap. There's no delay between those two things. Those 120 did experience a delay between believing in Jesus and receiving the Spirit. But after Pentecost, with just two exceptions that we'll look at later in the series, that delay is gone. And the day that you call on God to be saved is the day that you're adopted into his family immediately. 
It's the day when you're forgiven by Jesus immediately and it's the day that you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit immediately. Now what's this speech that takes place? Well, it's not the unintelligible speech we read about in 1 Corinthians. Uh, If you know that passage, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, we're told there that um, when a person spoke in tongues, and I quote 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, no one understands him. So they're in a private conversation with God, but nobody else understands it. But what we've got here is intelligible speech. Just look at the end of verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now this seems to be a one-off miracle that took place on the day of Pentecost. But what's being described here in Acts 2 is the coming of the Spirit filling the believers... And that experience is being confirmed by them speaking in other languages. Now I need to say at this point, if you want to know what you should expect from the Holy Spirit, well it's no good expecting a repeat of what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. No, we need to read what Paul and the others tell us in the letters. Because what Paul and the others tell us in the letters is that when we put our trust in Jesus, we receive God's Holy Spirit in all his many and various functions. What's the second thing about this speech? Well, it seems to be a temporary reversal of what took place at the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament. Uh, Those of you who know your Old Testament know that at the Tower of Babel, God confused the languages of the people. And the reason God did that was to protect them from the consequences of uniting against him. So God did something very powerful and very gracious in that he protected us from ourselves by dividing us. So here's a very interesting thought. Christian unity is a wonderful, precious and important thing. But probably humanity without Christ is safer being divided than being united. But where before uh, God confused human language because of our antagonism against God, here... By his spirit, he reverses that process because he's the only one who can create the unity that really matters. And we're getting a little bit of a taste of heaven here. God speaks in all those different languages. Why? Because he wants all people to hear the gospel and believe. And these Jewish people from every nationality who'd gathered in Jerusalem They rush to the place where the miracle's taking place. They listen to the Christians. What are the Christians talking about? Verse 11, the wonders of God. And as they listen to Christians talking about the wonders of God, every single person hears the message in their own language. That means 
This is a miracle of communication. So just to illustrate this, imagine for a moment you get on an aeroplane and you fly to Ukraine and you're going there for a Christian conference. But you're actually expecting to hear the message in the first instance being spoken in Ukrainian. But actually, when the person stands up to speak, you hear them speaking English in a South African accent. And the person standing next to you is from Malawi, and he hears the same message in Chichewa. And then the Zimbabwean gentleman on your right hears the message in Shona. And the Chinese lady behind you hears the message in Mandarin. So there's this great miracle of communication taking place. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. It was a miracle of communication. And that brings us to the second thing this morning. What was said on the day of Pentecost? I mean, our verses 3 and 4, both the miracle and the message. In other words, is the message... The message of Pentecost, is it violent wind, flames of fire, speaking in tongues? Because if that's the case, it's all over. This miracle of communication was a one-off, it's history. But thankfully, in verse 14, Peter stands up and he addresses the crowd. And filled with the Spirit, he explains what Pentecost is really all about. And he interprets it for us so that we would grasp the ongoing significance for us. And so beginning at verse 14, Peter preaches a sermon which, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, has been recorded in Scripture. That's interesting. When I start my sermon prep on Monday morning, I get my sermon out of the Scripture. Peter's sermon goes into the Scripture. And then beginning at verse 17, he explains the Spirit's coming as the fulfillment of a prediction by the prophet Joel. And you may remember White preached on that for us just a few weeks ago. And uh, he showed us the prediction that was made hundreds of years before the Pentecost event. When Joel said, verse 17... In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Actually, if you think about it, that's very remarkable. I mean, what should God have done for that crowd? It was a huge crowd, and there were plenty of people in that crowd who had conspired in the crucifixion of Christ. So what should God have poured out on that crowd? Well, he should have poured out his judgment. But because in the providence of God, Jesus was crucified and paid the price for sin and ascended to the right hand of God, he he pours out his Holy Spirit. It's an act of astonishing kindness and grace. And the Holy Spirit comes in power, notice this, to all without distinction. And that's significant because in the Old Testament, 
the Holy Spirit only came on certain individuals who were set apart for specific tasks. But notice verses 17 and 18. He's going to fall on all people, regardless of gender, because it's male and female, regardless of age, young and old, and regardless of status, even on my servants. So in other words, everyone who believes receives. And notice that the mark of all those who believe and receive is, in the words of verse 17, that they begin to speak. They're going to prophesy. They're going to explain the vision. They're going to share the dream. And on the back of that, verse 19, God will work great wonders. Now, you may look around here in the freezing cold this morning and think that things are not quite as exciting here as they were on the day of Pentecost. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, quite frankly, we could do with some rushing wind and some tongues of fire and uh, speaking in other languages. But a number of scholars have pointed out that Joel, sometimes in his prophecy, uses apocalyptic language. And that's the kind of writing we came across in our series in the book of Daniel, where you may remember the writer uses shocking images as a way of talking about the victory of God at the end of time. And Peter's saying that God's word through Joel means that when God's spirit comes, all people without distinction who respond to Jesus will receive the spirit. They will begin to proclaim God's message both in their lives and in their speech. It's going to be a day of telling very great things and God doing very great works. And this apocalyptic language that Joel used is a a way of communicating ordinary things in shocking language, and he does it so that we don't doze off. That's why the book of Revelation is so helpful, because it uses material that we find elsewhere in the New Testament and restates it in shocking language. So it says, for example, um, do you know about heresy? Well, before you doze off, the heretic is a dragon. Do you know about persecution? Well, before you doze off, the persecutor is a dragon. And here, as Peter quotes Joel, he's saying that ordinary believers, just like you and me, will speak powerful spiritual words which God is going to use to do very great works in the world. So friends, please, can I encourage you this morning, do not underestimate the importance of being indwelt by God's Spirit and being his representative in the world. Because if you do underestimate that, And if you think that in order to make any impact on the world, you've got to have the rushing wind and the tongues of fire and a miracle of communication, you are going to be disappointed. Because all of that happened only once. It was a unique event.
But what has happened in an ongoing way is what Peter tells us here, which is that God's Spirit comes and he lives in God's people in order that God's people will be his representatives and pass on the most important message ever given to humanity. Someone has said that sometimes, you know, we Christians are a bit like children, and some Christians are a bit more like children than others. Uh, My granddaughter is uh, one year old. She's just turned one. And I haven't done this yet, but I tell you this, if I were to offer her a choice between a thousand rand and a bar of chocolate, she will go for the bar of chocolate every time. Now, in just the same way, some Christians have a faulty grasp of what's really important. You see, they think that what's really important is something exciting. So they come to church in order to hear an exciting talk. Uh, The fact that it's exciting is what really matters to them. Of course, if you ask them afterwards what the talk was all about, they haven't got the slightest idea because they've come to church for an exciting experience. But friends, Zachariah said, what we need is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And what that means is that what really counts is the steady, sustained work of being God's people, Believing in Jesus, being indwelt by God's Spirit, through whom God does supernatural and lasting work. And if in your great weakness you are still able to help someone turn to Jesus, my friend, that is an absolutely priceless contribution. There's nothing more wonderful than that. And that's why Sylvester and Trimore are going to teach us how to get better at doing it. And that's what the Apostle Peter says is going to be happening in the last days. But then notice in verse 20, he also says there's going to be the great day. And this great day, which is still to come, is the day when the Lord Jesus returns. Uh, It's the day when creation, as we know it, comes to an end before Jesus wonderfully renews it. So think about this. Here we are in August 2023, more than 2,000 years after the day of Pentecost. day of Pentecost really happened, and we're waiting for the great and glorious day of the Lord, which is the day when the Lord Jesus is going to return. That is really going to happen. And you and I living between those two great days. And in this period of time, our greatest privilege and our greatest priority is summed up in verse 21. Please look at it. Because we have the privilege and the priority of saying to people in this world, call. Call out to Jesus. Because if God has really come into the world by his spirit offering new life, and if one day you're going to meet him 
and without this new life you're going to perish, will call out to Jesus. Because everyone that we live and mix with is living between the day of Pentecost and the day of Christ's return. And the only hope for any of us is to call out to him. And that brings us thirdly and rather briefly to the third thing this morning. What does the day of Pentecost mean for us? We've seen what happened. We've seen the interpretation. But what does it mean today? Let me mention briefly three things. First, Pentecost reminds us of the kindness of God. So we're going to try a little experiment to warm you up. Um, I'm going to read out a sentence, and I'm going to invite you to think how you would finish it. Okay, here we go. The greatest thing that God could give to me is... Now, how would you finish that sentence? Very good. That is the right answer, the biblical answer. The greatest thing that God could give to any of us is himself. And on the day of Pentecost, we're reminded that God who gave his son to us, who didn't deserve it, now gives his spirit to the believer in order that he or she might live in the family of God, live forever with God at the expense of God. Now, you can't have greater kindness than that, can you? And it matters because every now and then you and I are tempted to believe that God is not kind. But you see, here's another proof on the day of Pentecost that God is amazingly kind. And that's why we want people to respond by calling out to him. Because we know that God's Son came down. We know that God's Spirit has come down. And so the question now is, has your call gone up? Have you called on him and said, I need to be saved? I mean, isn't that what we really want for our families? We want them to be healthy, yes we do. We want them to be happy, yes we do. But more than that, we want to know, have they called on him and said, I need to be saved? You know, I think that call is so rare today. What is the matter with South Africa? You know, down has come the Son of God. Down has come the Spirit of God. And yet you all know, as I do, that it is so very difficult to get the person that you love to send up the call. That's right, isn't it? Because in many cases, you see, they're saying, well, I don't need to call. I'm a good person. Everybody tells me how nice I am. Uh, so why would I need to be saved? And anyway, what does it actually mean to be saved? Isn't that simply old-fashioned church language? Well, Pentecost reminds us that there is a life to be received. And without the life, we will perish. It's no good just being spiritual. That only means you're needy. You need God's Spirit through God's Son 
You need his spirit to live in you. And he comes because Jesus died for you. The second thing that Pentecost tells us is that God is a great promise keeper. And you and I need to remind ourselves of this because it's so easy, isn't it, for us to forget the promises. And it's tempting for us to believe God is not actually faithful. But God is perfectly and completely faithful to all his promises. And by quoting what God said through the prophet Joel, Peter is reminding us that God kept his promise to send his spirit And in exactly the same way, God will keep his promise to send his son back to earth at the end of time. And if you call on him, he will keep his promise to save you. But you see, if these things are true, that God has done everything necessary to make a way for you to be saved, why are there so many people we know who haven't yet called on the name of the Lord. I mean, it's a sadness, isn't it? What can we say to those people? We can say that the way is still open today for them to respond to God's kindness. But they must call for themselves on the name of the Lord. Third, Pentecost tells us that God is the great unifier You see, think about this. God doesn't unite people in the same way that an institution or a company unites people when it tells us to sign the contract until, that is, they decide to retrench us. And God doesn't unite people like a football team uh, just until the end of the season or until a better player comes along. And God doesn't unite us by law saying, you must unite or else. No, he inspires unity through the heart. He puts his spirit in us, and we live with his spirit for eternity. And we need to remember this, because we're sometimes tempted to think, we all are, that God is incapable and incompetent and losing it as the world spins out of control. But my dear friends, all the time, God is uniting his people. And there is a unity in the heart of God's people that's going to go on increasing until the great and glorious day of the Lord. And on that great and glorious day, God's people will be perfectly united and perfectly happy. The question is, will you be part of it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in our great weakness, we often forget your kindness and your faithfulness. Please forgive us. And as we share the good news of Pentecost, please help us to remember that you are always perfectly kind and faithful. And make us bold to declare with confidence that everyone 
who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we ask it for Christ our Saviour's sake. Amen.